Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. take your Bibles and open to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7 is where we left off a a couple weeks ago in our exposition of the gospel of Mark. I was a little giddy thinking that maybe the pastor was going to have about an hour to preach here and I realized we still have communion so um, we'll do that at the end and just uh, so my sermon is going to be shorter. So uh, that might be a joy for you but uh, definitely a disappointment for the preacher. Um, The title of today's sermon is The Defiled Heart, The Defiled Heart. Let me read the passage that that encompasses our study this morning, starting in verse 14 of Mark chapter 7. The Word of God reads this. It says, After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not go into his heart? but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of man, out of the man, that is what defiles him. For within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornication, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. Let us pray. Father, we again thank you for the heart of worship this morning. We desire to to know you, to worship you, to give you praise. And In light of that, we know that the word of God, it shapes what we sing and what we say. Come to a a very humbling passage, Lord. You know exactly what your truth says. It humbles us in light because this clearly identifies our hearts. Sinful man, total depraved. And we ask, Lord, that you would teach us. You would teach us to help us understand exactly why that is the case. And more importantly, why we need a Savior. And so we ask, Lord, that you will just guide and direct us with your word and with your spirit. We pray this, be with your servant. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
When we recently experienced the smoke-infested church building, in light of the building being on fire across the street, I was amazed at how infiltrating the smoke was. I remember Nate and I coming in here and just getting the, the first whiff of the smoke, and it was everywhere. There wasn't a place in this building where smoke had not infiltrated. It was on and in everything. Nothing seemed hidden from its impact. And as we know, it took professionals time to clean and clean and clean until the smoke was removed from every surface. Until there was no hint of smoke in the air or no smoke in or on the materials that the smoke had evaded. That experience reminded me very clearly what is at the heart of our passage here this morning. And that is the nature of sin. The nature of sin finds its way, invades itself, infiltrates every aspect of our lives. It consumes us, and we are utterly ruined. When it comes to man, sin has no respect of persons. It overwhelms every human being since the fall of Adam and Eve in the, in the garden. It consumes him. No part of man escapes this defilement. This includes both material and immaterial aspects of a person, both the physical and the spiritual. It consumes both the body and the soul. All a man's thinking, reason, desires, and affections are affected by sin. Theologians rightly call this total depravity. That man is totally depraved. And they are biblically right to call this. I think of Romans 3.23. Look at the screen. It's where it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That word all includes you and me. There's not an exception to this reality and this truth. No one is left out of that word all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of, of God. A handful of verses earlier in that chapter in Romans 3, Paul says this in verses 9 through 12. He says, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks, and when you see those words Jew and Greeks, that means everybody, are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is, there is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. That is the biblical understanding of the heart of man. It is totally defiled. Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Paul says in Titus 1.15, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure but both in their mind and their conscience are defiled. Totally depraved. Not an area to be left clean. One theologian applies this biblical truth, and I like what he says here, and I quote him by saying, we are so entirely controlled by the power of sin that the whole mind and the whole heart and all the actions are under its influence, end quote. In light of this reality, 
it only makes sense that man is in trouble. You and I are in great trouble. For that matter, we are incapable of pleasing God in that condition. Outside of the redemption of Christ, man is in the crosshairs of God's judgment. In light of this biblical truth, man cannot be neutral. And that's exactly where some of the world goes. People think that, you know what, we're, we're naturally somewhat good, that we have this new neutrality about us, that we can make wise decisions and good decisions. And yet the Bible says something other. Man is totally sinful and in need of a savior and a rescue and a redeemer. And without that, man is doomed to a Christless hell for eternity. But, but with a savior, with, with somebody to redeem him, that, of course, being the Lord Jesus Christ himself, only his redemption, man is given grace, forgiveness, and is elevated to a Christ-filled eternity called heaven. I think about this sin. It's throughout the whole of scriptures. We live with the reality that when we wake each morning that we're in this battle with the sin nature that desires to overtake us. It lies to us. It tells us things that are not true. And we are in desperate need of truth. That's the reason why the scriptures are, are given and revealed to you. That's the reason why a savior has been given to you. That's the reason why a spirit has been given to you to understand what the word of God is. But if you were to look in the pages of scriptures throughout all its 66 books, you'll see consumed, written in its pages, total depravity of man. And I think that's important to understand. Why? Because once you understand man's sinfulness, and how utterly helpless and hopeless he is, it's only then do I think that you will rightly understand the reason why God sent a Messiah and why God sent a Redeemer and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We often say that the, the theme of Scripture is the glory of Christ and his redemption, and that is true, but it has a backstory. For us to understand the glory of Christ and his redemption, we must rightly understand man's condition. And that is that he's totally depraved and needs a redeemer. When I look at the Bible, you can easily divide it that way. You can look at the scriptures and you can see exactly how all this is kind of unplayed as the Lord reveals his truth to us. We first see God's and man's relationship before the fall. We see that in the garden. We see that in Genesis. We see the joy of that relationship where, where God walked with his creation. And they had access to him. And then the majority of the text of the scriptures is, is God dealing with man after the fall. And why he needs to bring a Lord and a Savior only to conclude the scriptures with picking up man's relationship and through the, the, the redemptive work of Christ in his life for all of eternity. We would expect then, no doubt, right? If man's sinfulness and man's redemption is the central theme of scripture, that surely our Lord taught this, right? Our Lord Jesus, who, who came in the flesh 
who is God, definitely addresses this issue. And that is what exactly sits before us in our passage here this morning. And so very simply in your outline, you have two points to hang truth on. Jesus gives us two divine explanations of man's defiled heart. And it's very simple to pick up. The first divine explanation is that Jesus gives us a simple understanding of the defiled heart. He reveals it. He points to it. Look at verse 14 again. It says, after he called the crowd to him again. Remember the setting. Remember he just got done with the pack of wolves. The Pharisees, scribes, coming from Jerusalem to, to surround him, to, to try to catch him and his disciples in some kind of um, fault and so that they can point the finger and accuse him of unrighteousness. I think what's interesting to me, the only thing that they could point their finger at, their aha moment where they thought they caught him, was the fact that Jesus' disciples did not wash their hands before they ate. Now, to some degree, I would agree, in our household, if you didn't wash your hands before we eat, that's a sin, right? But what Jesus does with that was pretty remarkable, and we saw that a couple weeks ago. We understood how much the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes, the religious leaders of the day, elevated human tradition, the teaching of the elders, is what they said, as opposed to the word of God. All that was extra biblical. It was legalistic. They were man-made rules. And the thought was this would make people holy. And Jesus just dismantled that. I mean, their man-made traditions, he just throws to the curb. And he pointed to the word of God, not only as its sufficiency, but its authority. And so in light of that interaction, in the, in the first 13 verses of chapter 7, we come to verse 14. And Jesus invites the crowd back to him. And so verse 14 says, after he called the crowd to him again, he began teaching. He began saying to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. I mean, Jesus clearly points to the reality that what reviles a defiled person. And the reality is, he gives an answer to what the Pharisees and scribes had asked him in verse 5. Look with your eyes up at verse 5. They asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And Jesus gives the answer. He reveals it is really what defiles a man is not what comes into the man, but what comes out of the man. It's what comes from inside, out of the heart, that makes him clean or unclean. No doubt the crowd was probably befuddled. We all know already up to this point that Jesus is, is teaching in parables to the crowds. He's only giving the disciples the inner understanding of, of what is being said. But in essence, what he's telling them is that what defiles the man and your biggest problem is you. You are your biggest problem. 
especially in a world that says you're a victim, right? The world says that you're a victim, and everybody else's issues why the reasons why you're doing what you're doing. The scripture says no. Circumstances might have a, a way to kind of shape, but out of your heart, it's your heart that defiles it. You've heard me say before that the biggest problem each of us has is us, is you. We are the biggest problems we have each and every day because of what Jesus says here. Out of our own hearts, that is what defiles us, marks us, makes us a target of God's wrath. Why? Because sin. Simply because of sin that resides in the heart and comes out of a man is what makes that person sinful. Sin. A simple parable, a simple understanding, a simple truth, trying to help him understand. That, and you can see what he's pitting against here, the Pharisees who were so concerned about the externals looking like they are, are right with God and yet internally are, are totally defiled and missing the mark of holiness. And then as a footnote, you have verse 16. At least some of your Bibles has verse 16. In the NASB, the verse 16 is in brackets, and it reads there, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And you've got to ask yourself, why is it there in my brackets, if you have your ESV, if you have the NIV or some other version, you'll notice that it skips from verse 15 down to 17. And, and they eliminated that verse. And the question is why? The reason is this. If you look in your footnote or in your margin, you'll note that it makes a notation that in early in some of the best manuscripts, that verse was not there. However, I want you to understand something here. This is all about textual criticism. And by the way, when we get to the end of the Gospel of Mark, we will have a big lesson on textual criticism. We come to a section of Scripture trying to identify, is it really there or not? But I don't want you to be so much concerned about your Bibles being inerrant. Why? Because if you look at that verse, if you look at what he says, if anyone has ears to hear and let him hear, Jesus has already said that in Mark chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 6. And so it, it, in essence, is something there. It could be a scribal error to put emphasis on what Jesus has just taught. But the reality is, don't be concerned. Nobody has hijacked your Bible and made it, made it inerrant, right? We still trust the scriptures, and, and yet it's there for your understanding with the notations to make sure you understand what is going on there. So what we've seen so far is that Jesus re reveals man's heart very clearly in a parable. And what defiles it is by what comes out of it, not what you put in it. Not some external man-made rituals, but internal is what comes out of the heart. He reveals it in the parable of the crowds, no doubt. We don't get any interaction about what they understood by what he said, but we do know this, that the disciples didn't get it. And so it leads us to our second point, and the defiled heart explained, and Jesus just 
He just lays it out. And I appreciate the fact that the disciples had the question, what does this mean? Why? Because then we clearly understand exactly what Jesus meant when he said the parable. Verse 17 changes the scene. Look at it. It reads, when he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. Like I said, remember, this was the method of operation. Jesus took when the people beginning to mock him, religious leaders were after him. He, he goes and teaches them parables. But then he would talk to his disciples about the meaning of the parable. And this is what's happening here. His disciples questioned him about the parable. Now, we don't necessarily know exactly what type of questions they had, but there was questioning involved. They asked questions in order to get a more color and more understanding. And verse 18 gives us Jesus' response. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Are you so like the crowds, Jesus saying, that, that you just don't get it? And so Jesus, though he is trying to drive their heart to understand with a physical reality, pointing to a spiritual truth in light of the parable, is trying to help them understand. I like what the great awakening preacher Jonathan Edwards says, has to say here. I think he paints a picture for us to understand exactly what's going on here with this interaction with Jesus and his disciples. He says, and I quote, the disciples are like a dog looking at the pointed finger of its master rather than looking at the object to which the finger points to. I mean, this is so picturesque and so real to my own life. I have three dogs at home, and one of them is dumber than rocks. She wants to play. She brings the ball. At times, I have to wrestle the ball away from her, and then I throw it. And at times, she still didn't see the ball released from my hand. And so she sits there and looks at me. I have to continue to point the balls over here, over here, so much so that I get frustrated and say, I quit. Too often, I think, in our interaction with God's truth, we are so much looking. Jesus tells us the truth. There's the answer, but yet we're so consumed by the pointing finger that we, we forget the object that he threw or the truth that he gave. The point that Jesus wants his disciples to get is the object, the truth, and what the parable is, is, is pointing to, and not necessarily his finger. And so Jesus restates the principle of truth here again in, in verse 18. Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated? That's a kind word. We get the picture, exactly what's going on. And then he says this. In parentheses, Mark gives us greater color. He says, thus he declared all foods clean. This is a significant moment of the progression of revelation and the one who gives it and the one who has the authority to give it. During this conversation with Jesus and the disciple, Mark in this parentheses, he, he gives 
us the truth that Jesus has declared all foods clean. Why is that significant? Why? Because if you read your Old, Old Testament, you understand very clearly that the Jews, the Israelites, were to be separate and how they worshipped, how they looked, and how they ate. There were clean foods and there were unclean foods. And yet Jesus is pretty much telling them that all foods are clean. Now you and I, if, if we're students of the scriptures, we, we often look at Acts chapter 10 with Peter and that vision where the, where the blankets come down on the food and he says, rise, kill, and eat. And he does that multiple times to try to help Peter understand that, that we're not talking about now this, this Levitical law, now that Gentiles can enter into the kingdom of God, declaring all foods clean. A little parenthesis tells us that Jesus had already taught this truth, and finally Peter gets it in Acts chapter 10. Or Acts, yeah, Acts chapter 10. This is also a play on what the, the Pharisees and the scribes were accusing Jesus of, a Levitical violation of cleanliness. In light of, of eating food, we know that the Pharisees added human tradition and law after law upon the word of God so as to separate themselves, so as to, to make themselves externally holy and, and, and right before God. They thought that all of these do's would make me holy. And that shouldn't surprise us because we live in a society that, that all other religions outside of Christianity has a, a thought that we have to do what is right to, to re be received by God. It's all about doing things. I'll never forget the time when I was taking the trash out down in California. There was a dumpster. We had a, a pair of Mormon missionaries in our complex. And there were some papers on the ground. And so, being the young man that I was, I, I picked up the papers trying to throw it. I, I started throwing these papers that were on the ground by the dumpster into the dumpster. <coughs> I stopped and read it because it caught my attention. What this was... This was a journal of all the visits that these missionaries had visited. And they had a list of things that, that they accomplished. I shared Joseph Smith with these people. They would check, and there would be a check mark, and there, there would be all of these things. Now, why they threw it away in light of their theology that you can earn your salvation by the good things that you do, I'm a little bit surprised. But there it was. There was their list of interactions with people and their little check marks that proved in their religion that they were doing good. Exactly what the Pharisees were doing. It's exactly what we have to guard our own hearts from doing. Thinking that if we just do what is right and what is good, surely God will show us favor. Listen, the reality is this, that the, the heart is deceitful and defiled, and it has no goodness within it. You already stand in opposition of a holy God, and nothing will change that unless there's a Savior. Unless there is somebody to save you from your sins. 
who, by the way, who will take the consequences of your sins and atone for them and die for them and impute in you righteousness that is not yours. That is what's so beautiful about this gospel. And this is exactly where Jesus is, is helping us to understand. You've got to understand that there is no one who does good. That's what comes out of the man's heart that defiles him and that he needs a Messiah. And then you have Jesus who comes and drives home this point. And he declares all foods clean. Listen, who has the authority to change God's word? Who does? Only God. And Jesus is telling us that he has the authority to be able to do this. That he has the authority to, in, in the midst of uh, a progressive progressive revelation and dispensation that he has the ability in light of where he's heading to the cross that he, he can declare all things clean. Remember the Pharisees already had an issue with Jesus in the law in John or Mark chapter 2 with the Sabbath day. Remember that? And Jesus rewrites. Why? Because he has the authority to do so. Listen, the law was never going to make you perfect. Do you understand that? The law was a teacher to point to the reality of this very truth, that your heart is defiled, and there's, there's no way that you're going to be able to keep the whole law perfectly. Yes, the reality is that if you were able to keep the whole law perfectly, you would be saved. But have you checked your own list? didn't take very long in this human life for you to utterly fail. We all have Fs when it comes to keeping the law. But there is one. There is one who has kept it perfectly. That's why Jesus tells us that he has come to fulfill the law and not abolish it. That's why all these connected truths that come together, the reality that Jesus is the only one that can and has fulfilled the law. Why? Because he's God. He's God. Attention on the law was the drive to the reality that you are, are sinful and it still does to this day. I mean, if you want to narrow the law down to 10, how about trying to keep the 10 commandments? How'd you do this week? Were you able to honor the Lord with your lips? Did you steal? Did you lie? One week, how did you do? I think the, the answer is pretty clear. We didn't do well. Jesus changing the law, pointing that he is God. And he often did this. You remember the Sermon on the Mount. When you look at what he said about that, he would often say, you have heard it said, but I say. He changes it. He, he gives the, his authority and points to the reality of what is truth. And that's exactly what Mark points out in that parenthesis. Moving on, verse 20. Now starts the lesson. And he was saying that which proceeds out of the man, that which 
is what defiles the man. What comes out of the heart, that is what defiles the man. Why? Because of what is in the heart of man. And he doesn't leave us hanging there. He doesn't leave us guessing. He clearly gives us exactly what is in the heart of man that defiles him. He literally dissects the heart of man. And starting in verse 21, he gives us 12 sins that find at its root cause in each and every person's heart. Look at verse 21. From within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. The heart. Scripture tells us that is the seat of emotions. That's the place where decisions are made. That's where the affections happen. It's what makes a person. And at the heart of man are these 12 sins that really just break down into two categories. There are six actions that we do, and there's six attitudes that we have. And this is pretty interesting. We don't have time to necessarily go through this whole list in light of communion, in light of where we're at, but I think that we, we get it, do we not? Jesus, I mean, this is not a list to say, oh, I'm doing good on that one, I'm not so good on that one. Oh, that person over there, he definitely has that one. This is the seabed of all these sins, is your heart. That's exactly what Christ is saying. That is his point. Jesus is saying all these sins have the ability to rise up in your heart. Yes, maybe some are more prominent in your life than others. But we all have the ability to commit these sins. The sixth action of sins, evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, and deeds of coveting and wickedness. It is all in the human heart. All these actions reside in the evilness of our souls. And if given the ability to foster itself in our life, it brings great devastation. The attitudes, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness so easily rise to the surface and challenge our everyday thoughts. Now, you would think that would be enough. I think that we would say amen and walk away from that and just, just kind of lick our wounds, right? But he doubles down. He doubles down here with this whole issue. And in and, and verse 23, he says, all these things proceed from within and defile the man. The issue wasn't a matter of unwashed hands, but unwashed hearts. And like I say, this isn't the first time. Jesus isn't bringing some new truth for us to grasp. He's already said, and we saw already, it, and when it, if you were to read Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, where it says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on earth. And listen to what it says there. And that every intent 
of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That is the status of man. I think most of us get this. Most of us understand the reality that, that we are wicked. It makes it all the more beautiful when we understand why Christ was given to us, when the gospel was shared with us about the reality of, of God. And get this, what does he do? Ezekiel often preached that you're going to be given a new heart. And into somebody who is a new creature in Christ, to be able to have new heart affections and new heart desires where you are now transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ and you now praise him instead of your own sinful thoughts. It's very clear that we are not a victim of sinfulness. We are guilty of the sin that we commit. We own our own sin. We're not sinful because of somebody else. We're not sinful because the devil made me do it. We are all guilty as charged. I think that's our biggest takeaway from this. I think you, if you look at this and try to understand the reality of who you were outside of Christ and who you are in Christ, it should only cause you to rejoice and praise him all the more. Do you see the radical heart change that Jesus does when somebody repents and believes in him? When somebody realizes that there's nothing I can do to earn salvation and his grace and his mercy and his right reconciliation, I need a savior? This is why Jesus is so important for you to understand in light of truth. With the idea of total depravity, I want you to look at the screen, and hopefully you can see it just bounce off the pages. There's a reason why John 3, 16, and 17 are, are so favorable, even to the world. Listen to what it says there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved. Saved from yourself. Saved only through him. Jesus, he offers that cleansing, that forgiveness, that grace from the inside out. And only he can change your heart. And as radical as that is, he not only changes your sinful heart, he changes your eternal destination. Only he can make that trans transaction where he takes the penalty of your sins and gives you the, his righteousness. Only he can save you. I don't know about you. I I read passages like this, it humbles me, it, it identifies me. It's like I'm looking at the mirror, and he's indicting my soul. And yet, then I think about all that Christ has done, and is doing, and changing, and bringing new life. The 
you're not going to be changed unless you have repented and believed in Christ. And that faith brings new life. That faith brings a new heart. Sure, you will still sin in the Christian life, but in light of your redemption, you have been bought by the blood of the Lamb, and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and you'll be saved from your sins by the atoning work of Jesus Christ, period. why when it's time to celebrate the Lord's table all this comes to clear view that's why as believers we, we marvel and remember of what Christ has done at the cross because we were defiled headed for hell and Christ radically redeems and saves us amen Father, we thank you for, for the morning. A clear passage that is so truthful that it hurts. For those who are in Christ Jesus, we, we marvel at our Savior. Jesus, we are in awe of your love for us. As scripture has clearly said, while we are still yet sinners, God, you sent Jesus to die for us in that state of defilement, you sent a rescuer. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience, for your ability to keep the whole law, for your ability to, to point us to you as the only Savior that our lives need. No wonder you will say in John 14, 6, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.